why pray? You know, does it work? Is it supposed to work? (laughs) What's the point? And as, you know, we just heard from Sam Smith, everybody does seem to pray in the end, but why? And that's what I'm really excited for us all to be talking about today on all our campuses to join together, Gateway Central, Gateway South, Gateway Branson, online, wherever you're joining us here at North. I wanted to start off this series, Why Pray, sharing with you a little of my own struggle and the things I've learned over the years about Why Pray. You know, because as I've, I've shared with you before, I grew up, you know, not really knowing what I believed about God, thinking the whole Jesus, Son of God stuff was myth. And it was only in a small group that allowed me to ask questions over about eight months that I finally came to believe they're really good answers. And, and, and I came to believe Jesus really is who he claimed to be, revealing God. And I one night decided to say a simple little prayer. It was just something like, God, I guess you are real. And I want what Jesus did to count for me. I want your forgiveness. I want relationship with you. And I told my friends that I'd prayed that, and they congratulated me. They said, hey, you, you have started a relationship with God. And then they asked me to commit to praying every night, and I did. Now, here's the confusing part that people don't often share. So about four months after that, I'm praying every night, and my dad's cancer that had gone into remission returns with a vengeance. And I, and I prayed that God would heal him. And in this simple childlike faith, I really believed that he would and that he could. But my dad kept going downhill over the next months. And the doctor said he was dying. And he, and he started acting really weird in those last months. And, and, and was actually confused and it's hard to communicate and mean and even hit me. And we were best friends. He had never done that. And I went away for a weekend, just a prayer retreat. And I asked God, I said, God, heal him. And I believed in faith that he could and would heal him. And I said, but just let me talk to him again. And I come back from that weekend and he's normal. My dad's normal. I found out the doctors had changed his medication that was making him loopy. He apologized, explained why he was so confused and and told me he loved me. And I told him I loved him. And I thought, wow, God answered my prayer. He heard me. He's going to heal him. And I redoubled my efforts. And 10 days later, my dad died. Why pray? I mean, that question was seared on my heart like a branding iron, right? Why pray? And and I struggled. And I, I quite honestly, I almost gave up God and gave up prayer right there. But I kept thinking, if there is no God... There's no point to all the suffering. There'll never be anything good made of of any of this. And so instead, I had this thought, well, God, then if you exist, you're going to have to be my father now. You're going to have to be a father to me since you took my father. And you know, it was interesting how years later I read this, I didn't know this was a promise of God, where he says, a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows is God in his holy dwelling. And I later realized that thought was God entering into my grief, saying to me that day, I will be your father. And even though God had disappointed me, I kept praying. And over the next year, it seemed at times like, Maybe God was actually listening, like things would happen, little coincidences, and I wondered, is that him? But 
I honestly, I didn't hear a voice, no lightning bolts, you know, no sky riding, nothing obvious. And I remember a year after that, I'm, I'm running on the track and I start walking around the track that day and the thought comes to me, am I just talking to the ceiling? Like, is there really anyone there listening? Because how do I know? If God really wants a relationship, why doesn't he call? <laughs> why doesn't he email at least? Actually, there wasn't email back then. And he would have had to dial on the phone. If, <laughs> that's how old I am, right? But you know, why does he do it like this? And, 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 I, and I almost quit prayer again. I almost quit God and quit prayer. But another thought came into my mind. Well, maybe it takes time. Maybe it's like any other relationship. You've got to learn to know each other and understand how to trust each other and how each other communicates. And so I kept going. And I'm so glad I did because I found this promise that I later found to be true. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And friends, I got to tell you, 30 years of prayer later, that is absolutely true. And, you know, for the last 30 years, I have journaled my prayers just to see, is it real and does it really happen? And I have page after page of things I was wrestling with with God, things I was asking for, and pages later, clear answers, sometimes years later, very clear answers. And I got to tell you that this is absolutely true. God does answer prayer. And you know, this September 23rd, we're going to celebrate some of the greatest answers to my prayers because they're you. Those of you who are listening and watching online right now, because September 23rd, we're going to celebrate Gateway's 20th birthday. Can you believe that? 20. I'm excited because we're no longer teenagers. Man, those were tough years, all right? We're maturing. We're growing up. But we're going to all come together on all our campuses, South, Central, all over to the HEB Center, September 23rd, and we're going to celebrate what God has done. And so mark your calendars and start inviting people. Invite anybody who has ever touched Gateway, ever come to Gateway, ever thought about coming to Gateway. Invite them to come because at the end of that, I think you're going to be in awe of God. Because we're not just celebrating this church, we're celebrating how God answers prayers and changes life by life by life. And quite honestly, some of the greatest answers to my prayers have been seeing your lives changed. And we're going to celebrate that, all right? So mark your calendars and, and start inviting people. Now, at the same time, though I've seen many, many prayers answered, I've probably seen more unanswered prayer or confusing kind of non-answers to my prayers. And so you go, well, if it's less than 50% effective, what's the point? Why pray? Because that's not the point of prayer. It took me a long time to understand this. The goal of prayer is not attainment, but alignment. Not attainment, but alignment. And we're going to look at where Jesus talks about why pray in, in a model of how to pray as well. So let's look at it. It's Matthew chapter 6. Jesus says this, when you pray... Don't be like the religious hypocrites of his day who love to pray publicly on street corners and in synagogues so that everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that's all the reward they'll ever get from others. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private. And then your father who sees everything will reward you. 
Why pray? Jesus says, because God rewards prayer. Look, he created you for a relationship with himself. And the way he wants you to relate is through prayer. That's the avenue he gave you for relating to him. He wants your heart connected to his heart. And when you spend time daily with the God who loves you, you may not immediately see what you think is a reward, but he promises one day you will see he rewards that. That's why I pray. Now, the religious hypocrites of Jesus' day, they were after the wrong kind of reward. They, were, they would pray these ornate, flowery prayers so everybody would go, ooh, ah, you know, look how spiritual he or she is. God doesn't want that. He wants your honest, raw heart poured out to him. You know, he, he wants you coming to him. The religious hypocrites of Jesus' day sometimes would pray at others rather than at God. You ever been prayed at? <laughs> it's real fun, isn't it? Yeah, you know, like, like this prayer for, uh, that opened the Florida State Senate a number of years ago. Got lots of media coverage, though. It says, this is what they, the guy prayed. Holy and eternal God, it must be great to be God, to get what you want, when you want it, how you want it. We mere mortals are not that lucky. We're always having to compromise to get what we want. We call the process politics. You see, O oh Lord, we find Senator Jennings' priority number one and Senator McKay's priority number five and Governor Bush's priority number 10. And Senator Carlton doesn't even know it's on the agenda. While State, uh, Secretary of State Catherine Harris is busy closing down shop. In the middle of all this politicking, we're supposed to be still and know your will for the good people of the state of Florida, with every lobbyist in the world bugging us to death. So God, we do call upon you to come and be in these chambers and help us today. We pray this in the name of the God of all things, even politics, politicians, and in rare instances, a lobbyist or two. Amen. Who do you think that prayer was aimed at? Probably not so much God, <laughs> more the politicians, lobbyists, and media, right? Now, Jesus does want us to pray together and even out loud together because it can unite us, but not with our hearts aimed at each other, but at God. And more than anything, he wants us to come away and be quiet with him, make time to unite our heart with God's heart because that matters to God. Do you daily make time to be with the God who loves you more than anyone? You know, when, when my kids were little, my favorite time of the day was bedtime. <laughs> yeah, not for that reason, for, for another reason. Because they are, they're, you, know, you, have, you have young kids, they're busy little bodies, right? And, but at bedtime, they start to slow down, don't they? And when they would calm their little bodies down, they would start to communicate, they'd start to talk. And every night, either Kathy and I, we would lay in bed with them, and, and they would just start to pour out their hearts about, you know, what happened that day, and what, what their dreams were, and what they were thinking about, and how things went in school. And I loved that as a father. You know why? Because I love them. I care about them. I care about what's on their heart and their mind. And that's still true today. You know, uh, one of the highlights of my month is uh, I got to go spend a weekend with my daughter, up in Dallas, she's already grown, she's married, but I love just eating lunch with her and hearing what's on her heart and hearing her business plans and how she and her husband are doing. You know, I work out with my son uh, several times a week 
just to hear him talk to me. It's obviously not for working out, as you can see, you know. <laughs> it's got to be another reason. <laughs> but I love to hear the thoughts of my kids. Why? Because I care about them as a father. Now, have you ever thought that God, the Father, feels that way about you? That's what Jesus is saying. That's why he says, call him your father. This was revolutionary. Jesus says, you can call him your father. He goes on, when you pray, don't babble on and on like the Gentiles, like those who don't know God. They think their prayers are answered because of repeating words again and again. Like, like some you know, remote uh, rote thing that they go through. Don't be like that. Your heavenly father knows exactly what you need before you ask. So pray like this. Our father in heaven. See, here's the thing. When you've opened your heart to Christ and what he's done, God forgives you of everything so he can adopt you as his own child. He, he won't do it against your will. So you have to come to him willingly knowing you need his forgiveness and you want his adoption. But when you do... You're his, and Jesus says you can call him Abba. That's the Aramaic word for daddy. Think about that. The God of the universe says, just call me daddy. And he wants time with you. Do you make time to be with him? And not wrote, recited, memorized prayers, but just to talk. Honest conversation with a heavenly daddy is prayer. Now, let me just say, by the way, if you have, if the word father has been tainted by your earthly father, you need to study the life of Jesus. Because here's what Jesus claimed. John 14, 7. If you really knew me, you would know my father as well. You need to redefine what a father is supposed to be like. He says, from now on, you do know the father and have seen him. And Philip, one of his disciples said, Lord, show us the father and it'll be enough for us. And Jesus said, don't you know me, Philip, even after you've been with me this, all this time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the father. In other words, as much as you can comprehend of the invisible, unseen God beyond our dimensionality, you're seen in me. Believe me on evidence that the father is in me and I'm in the father, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles I do. You know, if you're not convinced of this yet, I want to challenge you to do an experiment during this prayer series, all right? I want to challenge you to read the Gospel of John, where you see what, what the eyewitnesses of Jesus said about Jesus, and what Jesus said about himself and about God and what God's like, and then commit to praying daily as if who Jesus says God is is true. And you just watch and see if he doesn't meet you in that take that challenge. And if you call yourself a Christ follower, I want to challenge you to make a time and a place to meet daily with the king of the universe. I mean, just think about it. If your CEO or the most important person you deem most important in life said, I want to meet with you daily, will you? You'd make priority for your CEO, wouldn't you? You wouldn't miss that meeting. Well, make priority for the CEO of the universe who, by the way, longs to be with you. And reward you for just showing up. It's pretty good, huh? So why, why pray? Well, Jesus goes on. Our Father in heaven, hallowed is your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now that word hallowed or holy is another way it's translated. Um, it's been, the meaning's been lost, but it just means set apart, different. God is not like us. 
If he didn't give us these relational metaphors like father, mother, spouse, which by the way, he, he gives us all those uh, relational metaphors of how he relates to us, we wouldn't be able to comprehend how personal he is because he is the power greater than the universe. Can you comprehend a power greater than, able to speak the universe into existence? And so God is the very one who sustains your life. God is bigger than you and I. And that's why I pray, because you're God and I'm not. But I need that reminder. How about you? This is what Jesus is, is trying to tell us. Now, maybe you're saying, no, not me. I got it. Well, let me tell you some of the struggles I have. See if you don't have some similar struggles. Like, do you know I have had whole days in my life where I've spent all my waking thoughts thinking about what I have to get done that day or what I need to accomplish or, or what I'm trying to do and how to get everybody to cooperate. And I've gone whole days without thinking once about God's will. You ever done that? Yeah. Or I've had whole days where, where I've, I've gone and I've gotten really angry and upset because the world was not cooperating with me like it's supposed to. Like traffic was not moving like it's supposed to. I get in a line at the supermarket and it turns out to be the slowest line when I had preordained it to be the fastest line. I've had times when my spouse and children don't do what I divinely command. I've even had times when you did not cooperate with me. And I bet you have with people at work, roommates, boyfriends, girlfriends, huh? Who ever said life is supposed to go according to my plans or yours? <laughs> and see, this is the thing. All us humans have this twisted view of ourselves where we make God really small and ourselves really big in relation, in terms of whose will is supposed to be done. So prayer is this. Prayer is taking time to reflect on who God is and who you are and realize, yes, he's a good, good father who loves me more than any, but he's God and I'm not. And that prepares you for this next part of why pray, where Jesus says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why pray? To align my will to God's will. See, God's kingdom is the place where God's will is fully done. And if you haven't noticed, earth is not the place where God's will is fully done, where God's goodness reigns supreme. That's not how it is. Earth is a place where God gives us the freedom to decide whose will will it be. And way too many times our choice is mine, thank you. And that's what's wrong with humanity. So Jesus says, why pray? The purpose of prayer is fundamentally alignment of my will under God's will. It's searching my heart. Am I really willing to do your will, God? Do I really trust your will? Or really do I think I ought to be God and I know what you ought to do? You know, in relation to my spouse and children and church and coworkers and all that. And so prayer is meant to be searching my heart and saying, God, your will be done and let it start with me. Because here's the thing maybe you've never thought about. Your will is the only will that you actually have sway over. You ever thought about that? Like, we, we spend so much time trying to control everybody else's will, but your will is the only one God's giving you authority over fully. 
And so to pray, God, your will be done. Come and solve the famine problem in Africa. Come and heal all the hurt and anger and and make all those evil people stop doing all that, but leave me alone. I'm gonna do what I want. No, it doesn't work that way. That's the whole problem with the whole world. The world only changes one willing heart at a time, and it starts with me and you. And let me just say, man, I have spent so many years of my Christian life, even as a pastor, praying prayers of attainment, trying to grab hold of something and get God to give it to me my way, rather than alignment where I surrender it. And that surrender I found is a daily surrender. And before you know it, I grab hold and try to take it back again. But when I do learn to surrender more and more, it's so freeing. It takes away anxiety. You don't have to control things you were never meant to control. You can trust and you can start to see. Yes, it feels risky. You know why? Because you're having to give up playing God and trust that God will be God. But when you start to align your will under his will, you start to see how much better his will is. You know, I, I, I first saw this in such a powerful way, not with me, but with a friend, Misha. When, when Kathy and I were living in Russia, uh, right after the fall of communism, Misha had come to faith in Christ. He was in my life group. I was, I was building into him. And later in that year, he came to me and asked me a question. He said, John, I got to tell you something. I've been smuggling vodka out of Russia into Poland illegally. And if you've ever tasted Russian vodka, you'll know why it's illegal, right? I mean, that stuff's poison. It's like strong. And he, and he said to me, uh, do you think I should be doing that? Okay, now this is tough because this is post-communism. There are bread lines everywhere. There's famine everywhere. Misha is smuggling vodka out of Russia and he's providing bread for his family literally with it. What do I say to him? And I prayed secretly, and then I asked him a question. I said, Misha, the Holy Spirit lives in you now. What do you think God is putting on your conscience? What do you think he's saying to you? And he thought about it in a moment. He said that I shouldn't do it. And in faith, I said, then trust him. Two weeks later, Misha comes back, and he's got this big smile on his face, and he says to me, I went to Poland, and I didn't smuggle vodka. And it was the easiest border crossing I've ever had. (laughs) And then he said, but you're not going to believe what happened. He said, I met a guy while I was there who sells car stereos that he imports from Siberia. And he needs a guy in Russia to be his partner. And I'm going to make twice as much money selling car stereos legally as I would illegally smuggling vodka. True story. And Misha 30 years of prayer later is the head of the largest Christian organization in all of Russia because he saw what you'll see too when you start to align your will under God's will alignment rather than attainment you start to see how much better God's will is and you want to keep going that way but Jesus says it's not wrong to ask for things give us today our daily bread why pray to ask for things that concern me. You know, now in a, in a society of subsistence farmers like, G, like Misha, they are probably asking, how am I going to get my basic needs met? And we don't have that problem as much. Maybe sometimes we do. But what you need to know is God already knows your needs and he really does want to meet them. But even more than that, he even wants to meet your wants. You can ask him for the things you need and want. 
It's okay. You know, I, I used to think God was bothered by my requests. You ever felt that way? Kind of like, you know, God's got so many requests, right? And I mean, big, important requests. What are my dinky little requests? I mean, he's, he's got requests for, you know, world hunger and solving world's problems and, you know, answering football players' big game prayers, you know, important stuff, right? What are my little prayers? And I almost felt like I was noble not asking. That's such a wrong view of God. It was like a Wayne's World view. You guys remember the movie Wayne's World? Some of you? We're not worthy. We're not worthy. That's what they kept saying all the time, right? No, it's not like that with God. If you are his child, you are worthy. He loves you more than you can imagine. More than you love your children if you have children or will if you ever do or could. That's why Jesus says this. If you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? God doesn't ever tire of our requests. He wants you to bring all of it to him and wrestle through it with them. And if you're asking for something, even over and over, Jesus says it's okay to keep on asking for something. If you're not seeing that, that thing answered or met, it could be one of three things. It could be it's not his timing yet. Wait, be patient. Or it could be it's a no because it's not actually in your best interest. Can you trust him? Or it might be that it's not in someone else's best interest and we just don't see the full implications. Because the truth is, if God answered all our prayers, it might destroy us all, right? It's kind of like the two Christian businessmen who are walking down the street one day, and, uh, and, and, and they're praying, and then the one stops and says, hey, uh, they're praying about their competition. He says, what if the competition is praying the same thing? And the other businessman, Christian businessman says, well, we have to just believe in faith that God doesn't answer their prayers. See, the truth is, we don't know how the things we want would ripple through humanity and how answering our prayers might be hurtful to someone else. But God knows all that. But can we trust him? That's the question. And so asking can actually be about personal alignment more than attainment. Here's why. If we don't ask, we won't recognize when we receive. That's why God wants us to ask. Because if we're asking, even for our wants and, and needs, both, you know, when, when I've asked for things that just are wants and seem ridiculous, and I've seen God give it, I see the kind heart of God. How sometimes he loves to just lavish good things just because he's good. And when we don't get it, it causes us to wrestle with God. Can we be okay with that? And can we learn to continue to trust even in this? And you know, those of you who are parents, you know this, right? As your kids grow older and more mature, they start to ask for more mature things in more mature ways, right? Hopefully. <laughs> in other words, they start to know why you would say yes or no. And as they mature, they align more with the things you would say yes to anyway. They understand why. So you're able to say yes more often. That's true spiritually as well. The more we align with God's will and, and ask, understanding who he is and, and what his will is about, the more yeses we see. Not always, but we do. And I've seen this. And then Jesus says, not only don't be afraid to ask, but also 
Pray for forgiveness. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Why pray? For forgiveness. Because we all need it. Now, if our hearts are aligning with God's heart, it will always reflect in how we deal interpersonally. Because God is a personal God. Love is what it's all about. It'll align how we deal with God when we've wronged him and how we deal with each other when we've wronged each other. And that's why when we come to God, we've got to be honest about where we need forgiveness. Now, Jesus paid the price so that we are forgiven already. But if we don't acknowledge to God where we've gone our will and ways rather than his, we don't experience that what forgiveness bought, which is relational connection. As long as we keep going our way, we're relationally dissing God, right? So when we come to God, we just confess, we admit, God, here's where I went my way rather than your way. You're already forgiven and now you're aligned again. But God also wants us to search our hearts and say, have I wronged anybody? Do I need to go apologize and make that right? And if someone has wronged me, you've forgiven me and I didn't deserve your forgiveness, am I forgiving them when they don't deserve my forgiveness? God expects that of us who have received his forgiveness. Because God's will and ways are always relational toward peace and unity and a love that bridges all divides, racial divides, socioeconomic divides, political divides, business rivalries, the greatest enmity. Even when your neighbor allows his dog to poop in your yard, God can bridge that divide because he's about relationship. And relationship is why he wants you to pray. I'm going to turn it over to our campus pastors now, and we're going to sing a song about the Lord's Prayer, and I want to challenge you to align as we pray that. And here at North, I want to encourage you, don't leave, okay, because this is actually the most important part of this whole message. I want you to pray. As the band sings the words of the Lord's Prayer, I want you to tell God how your prayer life is going to be different. We all have room to grow. Maybe it's just saying, God, you're the CEO of the universe. I'm going to make a time and a place to meet with you daily. At least do it during this series. And, and, and tell him when. Tell him how long. And be there. Show up. Or maybe, maybe you need to stretch your prayer life to start making it less about attainment and more about alignment. Tell him, that's what I'm going to practice during this series. Now, whatever it is, I want you to do business with God during this, and then we'll close in prayer.